Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, as you may have heard yesterday, livestock producers looking to get compensated for extraordinary costs related to feed and or transportation last year due to drought conditions have two extra weeks to apply to the Canada-Saskatchewan Feed Program. We'll hear from Jeff Morrow, the President and CEO of Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation in Melville on that. We will also have reaction to that news from the President of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities, Ray Orb. An important report for the North American cattle sector will be released this afternoon. The U.S. Department of Agriculture cattle report comes out just twice a year and USDA livestock analyst Mike McConnell will be on today's program. Alberta Grains held its annual general meeting this morning in Calgary. The meeting included some interesting discussion. Kevin Hirsch from saskagtoday.com attended that meeting in Calgary. and We'll hear from him on that as well. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bile meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Come back to Saskag today. Livestock producers looking to get compensated for extraordinary costs related to feed and or transportation last year due to drought conditions have two extra weeks now to apply to the Canada-Saskatchewan Feed Program. The Saskatchewan government announced yesterday that the application deadline is now March 15th and 10 rural municipalities have been added to the coverage area. Those RMs are Sherwood, Bratz Lake, LaJord, Edenwold, Lumsden, South Quipel, North Quipel, Bain, Rossthern, and Britannia. Jeff Morrow, the President and CEO of Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation in Melville, the and the entity administering the program, encourages producers who are outside the eligible area to apply anyway. Two updates, two changes to the Canada Saskatchewan Feed Program. The, the deadline extension is um, to March 15th. The original deadline was March 1st. So now the deadline for producers to apply is March 15th. That March 15th deadline not only is for application, but also if producers have incurred any extraordinary expenses related to feed or transportation tied back to that drought of 2023, they can submit those expenses up to and including March the 15th. And the second change, as you mentioned, was around the eligible area. Um, so the eligible area for the full federal and provincial um, payment related to the Canada Saskatchewan Feed Program has been increased by 10 rural municipalities. Uh, and of course, just uh, want to make sure it's known that for producers outside of even that newly expanded area, there still are provincial dollars available. Uh, so encourage producers that have incurred those extraordinary expenses uh, to still apply, even if they are outside the newly expanded eligible area. He says interest in the program has been steady. We have a, a dedicated uh, toll-free line for, for producers to call um, where we have a, a group of 
people that can help producers with any questions they may have on the program, help them through their application process. So, yeah, we have been uh, steady taking those calls for sure. Morrow tells us how many people have applied so far. What I can share is that we have over a thousand applications so far into the program. Um, but I don't have it broken down by, by RM or by region, but the total to date has been over a thousand. Um, and we know, um, from talking to producers that some are, you know, assessing their full feed need, um, may still be, you know, buying more feed. So are waiting until they have a better picture of what that feed need is before they submit an application. Um, so we do expect that number of applications to increase, uh, right up to that, uh, newly extended deadline of, of March the 15th. He says most of the interest has come from cattle producers. I do know that um, far and away the, the majority of the applications to date have been for, for cattle. Morrow says feedback from producers has been limited so far. I think it's, you know, it's uh, like I said, there are a number of producers that are still assessing that feed need, um, uh, determining whether they need to purchase more feed because this program does cover, you know, the extraordinary expenses related to feed and transportation uh, compared to a, a pre-drought year. So I think we're, you know, we're hearing from producers that they're still assessing that feed need. I think that's why it was important to just give a bit more time to fully understand that. Um, and we're working through uh, the application process and any questions that producers may have um, every day with them on, on the phones. He says it's easy to make a telephone inquiry. For producers... Um, we do have that dedicated toll-free line, um, and just for that number, it's 1-844-723-1211, um, and that's where our, our um, Canada Saskatchewan feed toll-free dedicated line, and there's also an email address the producers can send inquiries to, skfp at scic.ca. And Morrow says the information can also be just simply found online. Yes, absolutely. Um, that will be available um, at our website, scic.ca. That's the president and CEO of Saskatchewan Crop Insurance, Jeff Morrow. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgReview. The Government of Canada will become a founding member of the Efficient Fertilizer Consortium, or EFC. This partnership represents a commitment of approximately $1.3 million over four years from the Government of Canada. Created by the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research, the EFC is a public-private partnership that funds research to advance enhanced efficiency in novel fertilizer products and practices, that help farmers produce crops while reducing environmental impacts. As a founding member of the consortium, Canada will influence the strategic direction and research of the EFC. Canada joins 11 other committed members, including the United States, the United Kingdom's Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office, and other international governments, fertilizer companies, crop groups and foundations. There's an ongoing opportunity for Canadian fertilizer and nutrient management innovators to be a part of the consortium. Federal Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne is once again insisting that he is reaching out to international grocers in the hopes they will open up shop in Canada. 
The minister says he spoke to one foreign grocer just yesterday as part of his efforts to court new players to join the Canadian grocery sector, but he's not naming any names. Champagne met with Canadian grocers in the fall about food inflation and demanded they create plans to stabilize grocery prices or face consequences including potential tax measures. He recently expressed disappointment that the grocers have not been more transparent about their plans, but has stayed mum on whether the federal government plans to punish them for it. The North American market for pea protein is the largest in the world, with the U.S. making up 70% of the market. A market of that size is an attractive one for countries with an excess of pea protein, a byproduct of extracting pea starch to make noodles. Nicole Atchison, CEO of Purus, a plant-based food manufacturing company, says that historically China has sent much of its pea protein to the U.S., but that it's of a much lower quality than the pea protein being used for food applications. The rapid growth of the overall plant-based protein market means that China views the U.S. market as an enticing one for its excess of pea protein. The trouble is, is that China has been selling huge quantities of its low-quality pea protein at such low prices, it constitutes dumping. Last July, Purus filed an anti-dumping countervailing petition with the International Trade Commission, asking for tariffs and duties to be applied to imported Chinese proteins. Argentine farmers have closed the 2023-24 wheat campaign with a harvest of 15.1 metric tons, slightly lower than initially hoped for, but up nearly a quarter versus the drought hit previous season. In a wrap-up to mark the end of the wheat season, the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange said planting of the crop had been 5.9 million hectares, or 14.6 million acres, its lowest in the last five seasons due to dry weather last year that has since reversed with decent rains. The lower planting dented initial production estimates. The campaign ends 3.1 million tons below the initial outlook due to the reduced planting area, late frosts in early October, and a large part of the central farm area affected by water stress during the critical period. The national average yield for wheat was around 25% higher than the previous cycle, but 2.7% lower than the average yield of the last five campaigns. The European Commission has proposed measures to limit agricultural imports from Ukraine and offer greater flexibility on rules for fallow land in a bid to quell protests by angry farmers in France and other EU members. The Commission said it would extend the suspension of import duties on Ukrainian exports for another year to June 2025. They were originally suspended in 2022 to support Ukraine's economy following the Russian invasion, which has hit shipments via the traditional Black Sea route. The Commission proposal, which will require approval from EU governments and the European Parliament, introduces an emergency break for the most sensitive products, poultry, eggs and sugar, allowing tariffs if imports exceed the average levels of 2022 and 2023. It also allows the Commission to impose measures if the markets of one or more EU members are disrupted by a surge of imports of other farm produce, such as grains. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. 
Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and plus 4 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. The Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities, or SARM, commends the federal and provincial governments for including 10 more RMs in the Canada-Saskatchewan feed program. Both governments announced yesterday the RMs of Sherwood, Bratz Lake, LeJord, Edenwold, Lumsden, South Quipel, North Quipel, Bain, Rosthern, and Britannia were added to the coverage area. SARM President Ray Orb says it's something they've lobbied the federal and provincial governments to do. We know those areas are dry, and you know when we travel around the province, and we can see that they were uh, they were really suffering from the drought in those areas. So it's uh, it's good that the uh, that the federal government does recognize it. I know the province does as well. So it's it's uh, good news in the sense that they will be included in some extra help for livestock producers. Orb was also pleased with the application deadline being extended to March 15th. It gives producers extra time to apply for the program uh, for those people that are in those areas. They will uh, hopefully receive some of the help that they really need. So it's, um, it's a good news story in the sense I think that the federal government is listening, and uh, we are always one that you know one organization that's lobbying to help our livestock and our and our farming community the best we can. The only areas not eligible under the program are around Winyard, Humboldt, Prince Albert, and Meadow Lake, where enough precipitation and moisture was received. Orb says he hasn't heard from other RMs who are outside the eligibility area that want to be included. I'm sure as time goes on, if uh, those RMs, usually what happens, you know, the boarding RMs will realize that their neighbors are in on it, and then if they're in the same kind of condition, uh, moisture-wise, they'll want to make sure that they are too. But we haven't heard anything about that yet, but in, but we'll uh, we'll kind of keep our ears open. And we've been always telling our members, you know, if you're in that area, please make sure that, that we know about it. The province knows about it, and the, and the federal government as well. Any producer who is thinking about applying can find an online application at scic.ca. An important report for the North American cattle sector will be released this afternoon. The U.S. Department of Agriculture cattle report comes out just twice a year and will provide an indication if American producers are starting to retain more heifers for breeding. This is USDA Livestock Analyst Mike McConnell. We've seen a relatively high ratio of heifers being placed in the feedlots. Some of this might be due to weather conditions and dryness that have taken place in some parts of the country, and some of them might be due to the fact that there have been strong prices for feeder cattle, incentivizing producers to market their heifers for feedlots rather than retain them for breeding. So that's going to be an important indicator that we'll be paying attention to in the cattle report to get a sense of where the breeding herd is and the indications for cattle supplies, not just for this year, but for the next couple of years. McConnell says another key number will be the number of cattle outside of U.S. feedlots. And this will give us an indication of really what is the available supply for future placements going into 2024. 
or inventories have been relatively tight, particularly with the high placements that we've seen in the fall, that it'll be interesting to see the amount of cattle that are still remained in the herd that haven't been placed and whether or not, and the implications that that has for the entire supply chain and prices for feeder cattle, as well as fed cattle and wholesale beef prices. The USDA cattle report will be released at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Alberta Grains held its annual general meeting this morning in Calgary. This marks the official amalgamation of the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions. The meeting included some interesting discussion. Kevin Hirsch, the chief agricultural editor for SaskAgToday.com, attended the meeting and he files this report. Alberta Grains is facing a wrongful dismissal lawsuit stemming from the dismissal of Executive Director Tom Steve and two other employees back in January of 2022. Steve was high profile and highly regarded in the crop sector. Before heading to Alberta, he served as Executive Director of the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. No reason for his dismissal has ever been provided. Other commission staff subsequently resigned. The new Executive Director of Alberta Grains is Mike Flynn, who comes to the position with no agricultural background. For SaskAg Today, I'm Kevin Hirsch. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 177.57 this hour. That's down 45. April live cattle trading at 180.97, down 77. March feeder cattle trading at 240.52, down 80. April feeder cattle trading at 246.50, down 50. February lean hogs trading at 76.32, up 47. April lean hogs trading at 84.77, down 12. And that's the livestock market conditions. The associate director of the Swine Health Information Center reports continued increased porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome and porcine epidemic diarrhea activity in December a reflection of the winter weather. The Swine Health Information Center's monthly domestic swine disease surveillance report, released as part of its January e-newsletter, highlights a spike in PERS positivity in the wean-to-market category and higher-than-expected PERS positivity in Iowa, Illinois, and Ohio, as well as increased PED positivity in all age categories, including higher-than-expected positive PED submissions in Missouri and North Carolina. Dr. Lisa Becton says colder winter weather is typically a challenge. You know, as we look at um, what's happened in the year 2023, I think a couple of things still remain consistent. We know some of the major pathogens that producers and veterinarians are fighting uh, include both PERS, uh, strep suis, and uh, influenza of swine. And so those are a big three, but there are other pathogens that people are still facing, such as rotavirus and some of the other different enteric coronaviruses. And so it still remains a, a very challenging time to, to mitigate and control these pathogens. She talks about the concern over a spike of PERS positivity in the wean to market category. 
You know, as we look at that particular category of production, it's had a whole lot more focus recently as evidenced by the start of the Wean to Harvest um, research program, because this is one of the areas that, that is often overlooked, but does have a very big impact on production. And so some of this could be, um, the increase could be due to just a more focus on this particular age group, but also trying to understand how does downstream pork production impact biosecurity and the health status of our sow farms? Because everything is interconnected. And so when we look at the positivity and the, the numbers of testing in that category, it's always good to be mindful of, you know, what areas can this particular sector uh, impact? And one of those is transport biosecurity. And so as we look at testing, it's always good to be mindful and have a reminder of how people are running biosecurity in the wean to market sector as what well, not only in and out of the farms, but in transportation as well. Dr. Becton explains what producers should keep in mind regarding PERS for the rest of the winter. You know, winter always, the conditions tend to facilitate a lot of pathogen movement, whether that's enteric coronaviruses and other enteric diseases or even PERS. And so it's something that we've always are mindful of because winter conditions in and of themselves really don't make it easy for us to do things we like to do on a day-to-day -day basis, such as washing hallways, washing trailers, making sure things are dry before they get moved as evidenced by the temperatures, you know, these last couple of weeks, especially in the Midwest. And I know even in Canada, it's been a significant challenge. And so I think we really have to try to mitigate that, um, whether it's using some dry disinfectant, housing trailers indoors, but just being mindful of what we're seeing out there and also think of how do these pathogens transmit and really try to figure out how do we make our biosecurity better. As for the enteric coronaviruses... I think what was seen is, you know... PED especially, I think, has seen a signal in December. The advisory group noted that that the amount of submissions has increased. And right now, really, that warrants looking at what's going to happen in the in this next report for the to cover the month of January. And so that's going to give us a signal. Is it more active in the winter or not? Um, and so that's something I think we're definitely going to be watching for in this next reporting. The same thing really assessing what the winter is doing. Traditionally with trends, we do sometimes see increased activity in colder months. And again, also really makes us look at our transportation, but even feed mill biosecurity and other steps. So something definitely to be watching for in this next report. Dr. Becton then goes into the highlights globally right now. You know, again, globally, it's been a, a, a significant challenge, I think, for a lot of different countries in the world. ASF still is the predominant disease that is being seen. And a lot of countries have really had some both new infections, but also resurging infections. There's other diseases that have been out there, but as a whole, looking at other pathogens such as foot and mouth, um, even Nipah virus, those type diseases actually showed a reduction. And so that part is at least a little bit of good news. But again, I think this highlights that African swine fever is still a big one that people are fighting. And there's also a lot of 
um, activity for foot and mouth disease, especially in Asia and in Africa. She outlines the latest developments in the fight against African swine fever. You know, we have seen, again, uh, there's about six different countries, notably Sweden included in that, that have had first-time infections with, or noted with African swine fever. And so that continues to expand the, the footprint that ASF has globally, and that's a bit concerning. But also, as we look at other countries that have had ASF prior, there were five different countries that experienced resurgence of African swine fever in their pig populations, and notably both in Italy and Philippines, just to mention a few. So definitely something to be aware of. Dr. Becton notes it's significant that a new strain of ASF has been detected at the Taiwanese border. This is a, a key area, and I think this detection does a couple of things. It highlights the need to have continued border protection and monitoring of products coming in and out because this detection occurred in, in products illegally brought to the border from China and they were identified as positive. So that is something I think all of us, as we look at part of our border protections, is to ensure that we don't have illegally brought products, keeping up both of our education for incoming folks, but our monitoring at our own borders. The other significant issue was really of this recombinant, and it's been out in the industry or identified since 2022. And the concerns with this is, is this natural change that occurs over time? Is it because other pressures with use of vaccines or even movement of pigs? And I think the answer to some of that is we don't really know, but it highlights the need for continued surveillance, both monitoring and reporting of outbreaks and sharing of that critical data because researchers looked at the full genome of this virus and have compared that to other viruses that we've seen in the past. And that's how we're really going to be able to identify when and how these viruses change. The other big component is we still learn about how the virus gets into pigs. Why is it pathogenic or not? What genes are responsible for that? And then also what genes are responsible and respond to vaccine, because a lot of those things we still don't know because ASF is such a complex virus. So we're still learning a lot, even from these outbreaks. She then discusses what we know about this particular strain of ASF. This particular recombinant is, is showing a pretty high lethality to pigs once they're infected. And so that's of concern because we know there's other strains that don't act very aggressively and they have their own concerns, but this particular one does show to be particularly lethal to pigs. The other thing that was noted, it is not very responsive to uh, different vaccines and even modified live vaccines. And so that's why it's very important to be able to track and sequence a lot of these viruses to know are they susceptible or not to different vaccines and vaccine products that are out there. But it also, I think, reinforces the position that whenever we do use vaccine, it's gotta be incorporated with a very strategic plan in mind involving use of you know, highly studied 
safety and efficacy studied vaccines, because if not, sometimes that may tend to push the recombinations of the virus. Dr. Becton also has the latest on foot and mouth disease. Foot and mouth is, is still very present in the global hemispheres. And so what was noted is it was interesting as an overview. There's 30 countries that WOA has identified as positive, but in 2023, only 22 of those countries reported ongoing infections. And so that's something to really, again, look at and understand where the virus is. For 2023, both Africa and Asia still have the, the most infections occurring in active infections. And so that is something to watch because there's different types that are going around. And this impacts how people treat and target vaccine use for control measures. And she says it's easy to find more information on these diseases. A good place to find all of this information, and, and actually a lot more, is visiting the Schick website at swinehealth.org. Um, we have a lot of information there, both on the domestic disease reporting, the global disease reporting, and even things like fact sheets that people can look at when they're trying to understand the differences of these different viruses and bacteria and impacts. So a lot of really good information and we also update those reports every month. So there's always going to be a new release right around the first of each month. Dr. Lisa Becton is the Associate Director of the Swine Health Information Center. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up in one minute's time. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 609.80, down $3.70. May canola trading at 617.10, down $2.60. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 691 and a quarter, down eight and a half cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 621 and a half down nine and a quarter cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 595 and a half down 10 cents. March corn trading at 446 and three quarters down one cent. March soybeans trading at 1216 and a quarter down two and a half cents. March oats trading at 379 and three quarters up two and three quarters of a cent. And that's the Commodities Update. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. Changes are occurring in farm financing at the Crossroads Crop Conference underway in Calgary. A lender highlighted some of the financing trends. SaskAgToday.com's Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch is at the conference and files this report. ATB Financial is a provincial body that lends primarily in Alberta, but Jonathan Newton's ATB's head of agriculture addressed farm finance changes occurring across the prairies. One of the big changes has been the increase in equity partners. Investor companies buy land and either lease it to producers or form an equity partnership with a producer. In many cases, this may be a bigger parcel than an individual farmer could otherwise 
centralized finance. Newtons also suggests that with the high price of land, longer-term mortgages may be the way of the future. Well, we do a 35-year um, amortization on land financing, and we've done that for a few years now. I can't remember when we started. I've been with ATB five years, and it's been longer than that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we do that, and you're right, a lot of other lenders do up to 25 right now. No. I don't know anyone that's doing beyond 35. Um, my point in there was, you know, depending depending on where things go from a land values perspective and so on, that it might be something that uh, um, needs to be considered by financiers, you know, going forward. I'm not saying ATB's doing that, but I'm saying that it could be, you know, someone could come along and consider that, right, as as part of the equation for the future of uh, farm finance. It's it's more common in Europe to have much longer mortgages, sort of multi-generational mortgages. Yeah, I believe, and I don't know the details of them, but, you know, I know they they occur over there, and the idea of farmland being so scarce and so valuable that, you know, it has to be an intergenerational uh, mortgage for them to be able to make it work, right? Newton's notes that rented land is becoming a higher proportion than owned land. Some of this is due to investment companies buying land, but more individuals are also holding on to land after retirement and renting it out rather than selling. A trend not unique to agriculture is the growing incidence of financial fraud. Electronic fraud gets a lot of attention, where fraudsters use various methods to gain access to bank accounts, and that's why two-factor authentication has been implemented. However, Newton says using checks to pay bills comes with even greater risks. We still see in the agricultural sector, you know, there's still quite a high use of checks, whereas a lot of other sectors um, have moved away from checks, and consumers too, right, have moved away from using checks as much. Um, but it's still used, checks are still used quite highly in the agricultural sector, and check fraud is is not easy to stop. Um, so, and it's the easiest one to, you know, you get your hand on a check, you can you can modify it, you can you can uh, counterfeit it. There's different things that ha- occur on fraud for checks, um, and it's easiest to accomplish, right? While income statements are always important when seeking a loan, income can be variable from one year to the next. Increasingly, lenders are also considering balance sheets that often show equity growth due to rising land values. For SaskAg Today, I'm Kevin Hirsch. Farm Bulletin Board. A reminder that today is the deadline to place a bid on grassland restoration with the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation. To learn more, you can go to www.ssgf.ca, email them at communications at ssgf.ca, or call them at 306-530-1385. It's now 1 o'clock, time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly sunny, winds west-northwest diminishing to 10 to 15, and a high of plus 4. For tonight, mainly clear, winds east-southeast at 10 to 20, a low of minus 6. For tomorrow, mainly sunny. Winds southeast at 15 to 25, a high of plus 2, an overnight low of minus 4. For Friday, mainly sunny. 
Winds southeast at 15 to 25, a high of plus 5. For Saturday, mainly cloudy, a high of plus 3. And Sunday, a 40% chance of flurries and a high of plus 1. In the Paw, it's 5 degrees. Swan River and Dauphin are at 4. Brandon, Show Lake Russell, and Roblin, 2. Regina reporting in at 3. Saskatoon, 1. Hudson Bay, Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head, 6. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, 5. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-southwest wind at 9 kilometers an hour. 71% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 4 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.